You're listening to Building the Game with Rob and Jason. It's Building the Game with Jason and Rob. For tabletop game design, you really can't go wrong. Building the Game, yeah, Building the Game. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday, June 11th, 2018. You're listening to episode 305. My name is Rob. Jason is not here with me tonight, though we will be hearing from him. See, here's the deal, builders. Uh, our schedules have been a mess. If uh, you've been listening recently, I think you guys know that we've been talking about that a lot. Uh, summers are just ugly. Uh, so uh, so we just didn't have time to sit down together in the studio and record something. So we decided to do it a little different this week. Um, we're going to do a clip show. Uh, so... Uh, um, what we've done basically, we've, we've uh, listened back to uh, the first 100 episodes, uh, and we each picked a couple of clips, uh, a couple of things from those episodes that we wanted to uh, listen back to and share with you guys again. Uh, if you've been listening from the beginning, you might remember these, or you might have forgotten some of these things. Um, if uh, if you're a newer listener, maybe you never went back and listened to the old catalog. Maybe you started more recently. Uh, either way, we thought it'd be fun to go back and pick a few things uh, that even Jason and I hadn't listened to in a long time, and just uh, uh, you know, have some have some fun with it, um, uh, and, and reminisce a little bit. Uh, so, uh, if uh, you don't like clip shows, sorry about that. We're we're doing it anyway. Um, but uh, but here we go. I'm going to get started with uh, a little clip here. This is from episode 54, and this is uh, this is just a, a little little taste to get us started. You guys know that we like to uh, chit chat the beginning of the episodes. Uh, this is one of those clips. This is a, a fun story from episode 54. Um, of some recent experiences that Jason and I had uh, around the mythos. So uh, I hope you like it. It's over 9,000! But hey, we're nerds. That's I mean, that's our comfort zone there. Yay. You know, that's I. One more quick thing. Oh, my, my also mine's a black T-shirt. So mine's I'm full brown, on nerd. Yes, so close yeah. enough. Yours is close. <laughs> and it's a reference to an '80s movie. Well, it's a Goonies T-shirt. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, You're go on. Spoil that. <laughs> so I stopped at Bigby Coffee on the way here. Yeah. So we're going to be recording a couple shows. A quick, quick plug there for Bigby Coffee. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I am actually a huge fan of Bigby Coffee. So I free plug Bigby Coffee. Yeah. Um, the owner of the local store, his name is Raj. He's a pretty awesome guy. But mm-hmm. uh, I stopped. In one of the stores, and they have these trivia questions they put up. And okay. most of the time, they fall into two categories a trivia question that I'm like, hey, that's a cool question, you know, like, and maybe I know the answer, maybe I don't, or it's a guess, like, it's a total guess, like, how many Americans do this per year? And it's four numbers, mm-hmm. and there's really no way to make an educated guess. Sure. So tonight, <laughs> I met there, and I'm just sitting there, and uh, it starts out. In the short story by H.P. Lovecraft. I'm like, <laughs> what? And it's like, blah, 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 lives underwater, monster, and what's its name? And I was like, uh, so I walked up there, and I'm uh, I'm sitting there, and the guy finished making our drink, and I'm like, uh, so the answer is Cthulhu. And he goes, dude, that's so awesome. <laughs> he said, I wrote that last night. He said, you're only the second customer to guess and the only one to get it right. Nice. And I was like, really? Because it seems so obvious. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, me too. That's why I wrote it. <laughs> I was wrong. He said, yeah. I had to write a phonetic spelling of Cthulhu because my coworkers didn't understand didn't how to spell it. Was. Which, thinking about how Cthulhu is spelled, that's totally oh, well, understandable. Sure. If you if don't, you know, don't know about Cthulhu. Yeah. So. Have I ever told the story? Because I, I have a Cthulhu fish on the back of my car. Have I ever told the story on the show about when an old lady um, commented on my Cthulhu fish? 
Well, I have to now that I brought it up. Right. I, I, you've told me, maybe? But I don't know I don't if I've told you, the show. You, well, even sure if I have, have, we have new listeners since then. So last year, Gen Con, I got, I got you know, the, you know, the, the Darwin fish and the Jesus fish yeah, and things yeah, like yeah. Right. The plastic thing. So at Gen Con last year, I got a Cthulhu fish. And it's a, it's a little fish, and it has a, a wing, and it has, like, tentacles, and it says Cthulhu in it. Stuck it on the back of my car, and I was very proud of myself. I think it's very cool, you know? Um, the first day that I had it, I pulled into a parking lot at, at Noodles & Company here in town, and there's a... the car i end up parking next to also has one i hadn't seen one ever and then the first day i have it boom there's another guy with it okay so that's <laughs> that was kind of frustrating and then the next day you like rip it off yeah <laughs> i should have <laughs> but then the next day i'm on my lunch break at work and i'm driving driving to get some food and uh this this little old lady in a prius pulls up next to me to stoplight and she kind of does the thing you know roll down your window and i roll down my window and i smile at her and she says what 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 does the little fish on the back of your car mean and i'm like Oh, this poor old lady. She has no idea. How do I, how do I explain Cthulhu? And like the three seconds you're sitting next to each other at a stoplight. At a stoplight, right? How do I explain the cosmic horror that is Cthulhu to an innocent old grandma who is who just you know is genuinely curious? How can I encompass this? I, I, what do I do? What do I do? I'm. I. I don't know what you do. So. So. I. I mean. I like. Like. This this surge went through my brain, trying to think of how to phrase it, what to do, and and I was just like, I, I can't. There's nothing I can do. So I just kind of, I kind of smiled at her and I just said, it, it's a it's a comic book thing. And she, her face fell, like she was so disappointed, like I had just told her that her dog died, like she thought it was something cool. She thought it was going to be something so cool and different. And I said, it's a comic book thing. And she was just, oh, she was so disappointed. I felt like a jerk. I felt like a jerk because I didn't tell a little old lady about the cosmic horror that is Cthulhu. So, I don't know. I'll teach you. Lesson learned. Next time. I should have put the car in park and said, well, let me tell you. Yeah. Said, listen, this is going to be a minute. Right. Just go ahead and turn your car. Actually, why don't we just pull into the parking lot over here and we can have a conversation. Yeah. That's what I should have done. That would have been your whole lunch hour, dude. Yeah. Well... She probably would have gotten freaked out and, and driven away. He's got if, these tentacles. Well, you see, he's huge. he's a, he's a god, right? But he's sleeping. He's sleeping under the ocean in the city of Relech. I'm never sure how to pronounce it. Is it Relech? Actually, I, I left out of my story yeah. uh, that it said lived in the underwater land of, and it had that word, and I said, I think it's Ryla. And the guy's like, I never know how to pronounce that either. <laughs> so I just left that out of the story. Okay, but since yeah. you brought it up. Yeah, yeah. right. Well, anyway, I, and I'm not even—I don't even know everything that there is to know about Cthulhu and the mythos, but um, I know enough right. to get by as a geek. <clears throat> so, this topic that I wanted to include today is uh, from episode 94, and it's about being done. So, when is a game done? And uh, I this this was a great conversation to listen to. We call back about a lot of old games we were working on at the time, and I just found it really intriguing to um, have that little stroll down memory lane. So, here we go. What were we talking about? Tweeting. So, I tweeted. <laughs> Tweeting, yeah. I, you know, a lot of times you ask for questions, but this time I was like, hey, let's ask for some features. Because, I mean, we're honest about the fact that sometimes we have trouble knowing what we should talk about on the show. Yep. Uh, so, today I tweeted and said, hey, anybody got any cool features to talk about? And we got two really good ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to do one of those this week and one of those next week. Yeah. Uh, the one we're going to talk about this week is from Andy Lennox. Mm-hmm. And um, this is a great question because it's 
it's so hard to answer. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that I have an answer for it. I think I, I think we have some good discussion points though that we can yeah. talk about for how we think we know the answer. Um, and his question was, when is a game done? How many iterations does it take before you feel like a game is done? Um, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. And now I know off the bat that he knows there's no standard answer to that, right. right? Right. Some games you could play five times and be like, well, this is the game. Like, this is done. Mm-hmm. Other games you're going to have to play 500 times and that's still not going to be the case, you know? Mm-hmm. So so how do you know when it's done? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, <clears throat> yeah, it's some. It's I don't know who originally said this quote. I've heard it from several different sources, but, but somebody, some smart guy at some point in history said, that uh, art is never finished; it's just abandoned, right? And that's maybe elevating the idea of a board game to that's the le- optimistic man. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, they can be artistic, but I, I, I think the the message there is that that a, a, a creative work. So, so, so this is this would be the board game. Board games are never done; they're just published. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> There you go. Board game, board game is never finished. It's just published. Which can be true, because expansions... Yeah. Expansions, uh, more so now that expansions are so popular. Right. And just the idea of house ruling, you know? Right. You know? Um, so, how do you know that it's good enough for that, though? I, I think maybe is the more correct question to ask. And, um, yeah, it's... Maybe... Okay, let me talk about Rumpelbum, then. Okay. Okay. So, Rumpelbum... Is the only project that I have I have completed in quotes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I talked before about all the stuff that I still want to do to it mm-hmm. that I m- probably will never get around to doing. To let's be honest. <laughs> so so Rumplebum, I had a pretty strict deadline with that one. You know, I wanted to submit it for the Gamecraft contest, which I lost. Um, <laughs> you just didn't win. I lost. <laughs> <laughs> I saw how many votes I got. I lost. <laughs> <laughs> Not as bad as some other people, but I I super lost. Um, <laughs> so I had a deadline, right? So I I knew I hey my I I have to have everything done and submitted to the contest by X date. I know that one of the steps that I have to do before that is I have to buy a copy for myself to look at and proof, and that will take uh, Y amount of time. So I have date Z, which takes place Y amount of time before date X. Okay. Um, and so I had to have I had to have the game working, and I had to have uh, artwork put together. I had to, I had to have the cards assembled and functional, and 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 not get in the way of playing the game, facilitate the gameplay on with the card art, right? Um, so one of the things, one of the mistakes that I made early on in designing is doing the art before finishing the game, you know. And that's a terrible idea. No, oh, it's something that every single person a lot of will us tell you. do that. Except right? for Chevy, Chevy will tell you not to do that. Yeah, because Chevy does art before he even thinks of a game. Right. He'll just do art and be but, like, "I should, I should make a game out of this." But it's because he likes doing art, right? So. Yeah, and, and I do too. Right. Right. So, um, so on Rumplebum, I was, I was trying to be very careful to make sure that I had a game working before I spent a bunch of time on the art. Um. Boy, man, this is a hard question. So, okay. So, rule number one, you're done when the deadline comes. <laughs> that's when the game is done. When you hit the deadline, that's the drop to the deadline. That's, that's when your iterations are finished, yeah. And I think there's a couple different ways to think about being done, too. Is there done as in, this is ready to be submitted to a publisher, or done, the publisher's happy, let's publish the game. Mm-hmm. Which I think are two completely different things. That's so, true. I, mean, I guess I would go from the idea of 
ready to submit to a publisher or ready to publish it yourself. So in my mm-hmm. case, Water Balloon Washout's one I can talk about. The only game I've actually put out for sale eventually. Yeah. Um, you know, but Some, I mean, someday. It's, it's been submitted. It's I mean, printing. Who, who knows so. when that'll happen, though? Rob is exaggerating. It's been so project. long. It's been so long, dude. Very soon. So <laughs> it's, it's currently printing. I just checked on that today. Um, so printing and assembly. Mm-hmm. But uh, <clears throat> with this, with that game, there was a turning point with that. I play tested it several times with people at work, and they seemed to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And I'd make a tweak here and there, and they seemed to enjoy it even more. And then they would say, hey, can we play this again? And they didn't give feedback. They just wanted to play it again. And then I showed it to you for the first time, and your feedback was, this game is done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you should really just make this game now. That was what you told me. Mm-hmm. Those, those are almost your exact words. And I thought, well, that's good. Like That makes me feel like... So what I started to notice was I kept showing it to other people, but the feedback I kept getting was, if you really want to make the game more complex, you could do this, this, and this, but if you're looking to keep it as a simple game that does this, it's it's ready. Mm-hmm. I have these little tweaks. When you get to that point, I think it's it's safe to say, I feel like the game is done. I feel it's, like I'm yeah, ready. That's probably a good way to see that, yeah. Yeah, um, that made me think of uh, Maelstrom. Um, mm-hmm. And getting to the point where we were when we were Grand Con and got a bunch of testing done and um, and playing it after that, and a lot of people had a lot of good ideas, but it got to the point where all the feedback I was getting was was suggestions on how to make it more complex, yep, or how to make the goals of the game change, right? How, how to make, um, yeah, what you're doing different than than the game I was trying to make. Mm-hmm. You know, when when the suggestions I was getting were not in line with the goals that I had for the game, right? And, and that people were no longer criticizing what my goals were, but trying to say, well, what if what if you had this these other goals, right? You know? Because it sounds more fun to me. Because yeah, because they felt like the goals that I was trying to achieve had been met. Right. And they were trying to, and they were still trying to be helpful, of course. Right, of course. You know. And that is helpful in itself. Like, yeah. when you're like, wow, these people are stretching, trying to find new goals, mm-hmm. because my goals new are New ways to, in, to improve this right. or something, right. Yeah. So, so that, you know, that's probably a good measure. Um, I think so. Yeah. You know, I, um, and obviously it depends on the level of complexity. Like, there's a couple of different ways to think about it, too. Like, for instance, Sandbox Showdown, right? That's another good one that I've worked on. Yeah. I feel like that game is done with the exception of it needs some more balancing with some of the uh, components. Yeah. Um, for Because right. because there's so many variable player powers in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, again, it's it's tough to measure the different levels of, you know, Yeah, so done. I, that's a good point. So you know that that's not done as in ready to publish, but you do feel like it's done as far as putting in front of a publisher. Exactly, because the core game works. Mm-hmm. It works and very any, well. And any publisher worth their salt can look and say, Oh, these couple abilities are wonky, mm-hmm, but I cut see, those or change them. I see, but I see as a whole that this right. works well, and I see the message here, and yeah. Right. It's like with Ramblers. I feel like I'm getting close because the changes I'm ready to make now mm-hmm. are all like, tweak this ability, add a few more here. So I really feel like as we go through the next like three drafts of Ramblers, it's mm-hmm. going to keep getting just more and more, change this little thing, change that yeah. little thing. And I think that's something you see is things start to scale down, which yeah. is why with Sandbox Showdown, when someone came back to me and said completely revamp how you play this game to make it a better game. Yeah. I was like, whoa, whoa, I'm ready to just do balancing changes. Yeah. Turns out they were right, and the game is way better now. <laughs> like, a thousand times better. Yeah. Um, but So, I think you always should be open to that, right? Of course. Um, but, you know, I think that those, when you're when you're down to making those little changes, that in every iteration, there's 
you know, less and less to change, that's when you should know you're getting close to done. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's probably the most, you know, the most concise thing I could say about that. Yeah. So anyways, um, yeah, I think that's a really good thing to think about Mm -hmm. is the tighter your iterations get. When you're still making sweeping changes, your game is not close to being done. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so back to Rumplebum then. So Rumplebum felt like it was working. That that the, the structure of the game was working. It's a very simple game. Mm-hmm. It's not a lot of variables you can tweak in it. You know, there's no economy to it. There's no money. It's just about you know, get the card, get the next card, get the third card, put them together to get the right, thing. You right. know, it's not rocket science. Right. It was a very simple game. So I didn't have a ton of balancing to do. Um, I was limited by some very specific parameters for the Game Crafter contest in right. terms of deck size and that sort of thing, um, and the cost to produce. and the cost to produce. Right. So, so I felt like within the the limited parameters that I have, which which can be a good thing. Of course, we've talked about it before that oh, sometimes yeah, restrictions certainly. can be very helpful. Yes, um, restrictions I felt, can be freeing sometimes. I yeah, I felt I felt like uh, I had the game working as a as well as I needed it to and wanted it to within those parameters. And then I needed to start working on the art and start putting the cards together. And yep. I and I knew what my deadline was and I knew what I was capable of. And so I just kind of had to stop. I just kind of had right. to stop developing the mechanics and move forward with the artwork to get it done in time. But let's be honest. How much more would the mechanics change? 10% at most, maybe? Maybe, maybe more, like, more like 5%. Yeah, maybe, I mean, you know. at that point, you know, because the thing is, the game can never be done if you want it not to be. Sure. You can keep tweaking mm-hmm. stuff, tweaking stuff, and eventually you're going to hit that point where mm-hmm. you're not making it better. Right. You're now, you're now moving away from your target, and that's, you know, I yeah. mean, that's not what you want. Right. And the worst thing you can do is keep working on the same game for 10 years, right. you know? Because cause what, what are you wasting your time on then? Well, I mean, I think it's okay to work on your same game for 10 years as long as that's not the only game you're working well, yeah, on. Yeah. And hey... If you're a builder out there and you're really excited about working on one game for 10 years, we're not telling you you're wrong, just mm-hmm. to be clear. We're just saying that if you want to get published, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. there's going to come a time when you're going to want to work on something mm-hmm. else because if that idea is not hitting, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Flex your muscles. Yeah. Keep, right. keep trying new stuff. Don't be afraid to set something down and try something new. You know, I was um, speaking of that, flexing your muscles, I was talking to Andy Lennox um, and, uh, we we talk on Gchat a lot, just typing back and forth, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, we were talking about how many prototypes we'd done and how much testing we'd done, and he, he had said, I was thinking lately about the thousand hours rule. Have mm-hmm. you heard of that? Yeah, sure. From, like, uh, the book... Um, I don't know what Out, book. Oh, Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Okay. It's a really good book um, that talks about people that are really good at things, like experts, and there seems to be this, like... Or is it 10,000 hours? I think it's 10,000 hours. It's probably 10,000 yeah. hours. Yeah, that people that practice something for around 10,000 hours tend to be really good at it. So, like, mm-hmm. when you look at sports players or musicians, you know, like, they all started at a young age, and they kind of hit that point, and because it's it's just part of them. Yeah. And I really feel like that is the same with design. I mean, when I look at how I used to approach designs, it was funny when we had Bruno Cathala on mm-hmm. um, the last episode of Something from Nothing, which yeah. watch that by the way. That yeah, guy's a good. genius. Yeah. 
Also, before you guys came on, he played us a ukulele version of Money for Nothing. So I just want you to know it was pretty awesome. I missed that. I joined late. You can, you can, I think if you look on his Google Plus page, he has a, another version of him oh, doing he? that. It's pretty sweet. It's pretty awesome. Because <laughs> it's a ukulele, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's yeah. awesome. But um, one of the things he said to us was, your first game design is probably five games. Like, yeah. Because mm-hmm. you, you just want to add things. And that was so me in the beginning. Yeah. You were better about that because you always wanted simple designs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because you've actually worked into doing more complex designs. It's true. Very organically, which is great for you mm-hmm. because you under, you kind of respected the small game. And now I'm kind of working backwards mm-hmm. going to the simpler games because I'm able to kind of rein myself in. Yeah. So, yeah, that just made me think of that. But um, so back to... The whole idea of when is your game done, man? I, yeah, I mean, I think I think the things we've said are probably a pretty decent mm-hmm. example, but there's no hard and fast rules, you know. Right. Depends on the game, you know. And I think too, you need to start. Um, one of the things that's another good benchmark is when you're doing the kind of the the check sheets that people are filling out for you with testing your games. Mm-hmm. Um, if they if people are continually checking, I would buy this game. That's probably a good sign, right? Sure. Because most people don't want to buy games that are completely not ready for sale. Yeah, right, yeah. So. Fatality. So uh, if any of you guys were supporters of Epic Monster Tea Party on uh, Kickstarter, uh, you hopefully got your copies of the uh, of the game in the mail a couple of months ago, and I, and I hope you guys are really, really enjoying it. Uh, I, I've been super, super happy with uh, with what the end result was. It was a long time coming, but um, but I'm, I'm glad to have it. And, and I was thinking about how it really hasn't changed all that much from my original pitch on the show. Uh, so uh, I, I thought it would be good to uh, listen back to that original pitch back when it was called Epic Kaiju Tea Party um, and, and uh, uh, kind of kind of listen to the ideas and the goals and uh, and really think about how how those have been achieved I think frankly uh, how, how happy I am with the end result and and it kind of kind of helped it was one of those situations where um, you know that usually usually things change right most of the time things change you have an, an idea and then you work on it and you adjust it and you and and you make changes and it evolves it's an iterative process right and it evolves into something new and better but gosh tea party really the the core idea was there from the beginning obviously there was balancing in points and powers but the core idea was there and was solid and and carried all the way through to the end and i couldn't be more proud of it uh so uh let's hear that that's enough of that all right okay you're gonna pitch a game i'm gonna pitch a game this is one that i kind of started um brainstorming a little bit with my wife with christine um we were kind of bouncing bouncing some ideas around she doesn't really um get as excited about the design aspect as i do i was hoping i could convince her to co-design it with me but uh she's she wasn't into that so that's sad makes me sad it's all right. Sad, Rob. <laughs> no, I think what what turned her off is when I said, you could come on the show and pitch it with me. And she's like, absolutely not. <laughs> and so, yeah, my fault. Your wife's never been on the show. Mine was the Gen Con episode. Um, live true. at Gen Con. She said, she told a story that was embarrassing. Yeah. Because Neil right. Roberts asked her to, because Neil's a jerk. Well, we've, we've heard Christine in a couple play tests. Like when we, oh, that's true. Yeah. yeah. When we played um, Kanzumi Goddess, for example. Yes. You know, she was in that, and a couple other things. But at any rate, yeah. The game is called Epic Kaiju Tea Party. Yeah. 
because you guys, you guys, again, longtime listeners know that I like to take, I like to think about uh, familiar uh, uh, themes and and approach them from different directions. You know, I I right. I, I'm not always successful with that, but uh, in fact, I have yet to be fully successful with that. <laughs> but some some could say that I've yet to be fully successful with anything that I've tried to do. So in life in general, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, my games. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, uh, uh, kaiju. There have been a, a glut of of giant giant Tokyo monster games. Maybe not a glut is the right word, but I mean, there's been a push, not, not the, the size of a push of zombies, but there's King of Tokyo. Mm -hmm. There is rampage. There's smash monster rampage, right? There's uh gosh, there's something called city of monsters, I believe. Okay. So there's, there's a few, there's some out there for a smaller, for a smaller kind of thing Mm -hmm. on like a zombies thing. Four games is a lot. It is a lot in the last few years. The cool thing is it's a, it's a, it's a big enough niche that it could support probably 10 games. I would say as long as they're all different, if they're all different, good. So, I mean, yeah, so far they've all been different. Yeah. So I was like, man, is there anything I can do with giant monsters? That's not about smashing a city or killing the monster before he smashes the city. Is there any kind of anything I can do there? And, and, and so I thought, well, what, what, what happens after they're done smashing the city? You know, let's say the, the monsters, they had a really good day. You know, they had a good day. They smashed some serious buildings. They killed a lot of people. You know, they blew up a ton of tanks and knocked down a bunch of helicopters. And they're just feeling really good. And it's the end of the day. And they just want to kind of kick back and reminisce about all the destruction from the day and just have a nice cup of tea. You know, I think that just makes sense. What, I mean, if you were a giant kaiju monster at the end of the day, wouldn't you just kind of want to have some tea? Like Earl Grey? Or would I make something? Well, else? they're 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 Japanese, so it'd be like green tea and oolong oh, and stuff. You know, okay. well, oolong I guess is Chinese, but wow. anyway, um, I'm impressed you knew that. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, when you go to Chinese restaurants and you have the tea that's so good, because Chinese tea at a Chinese restaurant is better than tea at home, better than all the Lipton yeah, stuff. Yeah, I always thought that was green tea. You can order green tea, but the generic default stuff they give you is usually some blend of oolong. Oh, cool, yeah, good to good. know. Yeah. Yeah, get some. Go to go to that tea place that by where we work. Chocolate tea, chocolate tea, yeah. and get some loose leaf oolong tea. And you, I mean, you need the whole deal with the the teapot and the and the mesh ball and stuff. I think Steph has that at home. It's it's worth it, dude. It's worth it. It's good tea. Gotta get that in a cake. Up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, the right way to do it though is to get a, a full on teapot. You know, right. you, you know, you get you put the the boil the water in the in the kettle. You pour that into the teapot over the thing, let it steep in the teapot, and then pour that from the pot into the... That is the... I mean, it seems excessive and stupid, but it really is the best way to make good tea. I'm not a, a tea connoisseur. I, I went through a phase in my life where I tried to really like tea, because I hated tea my whole life. This this will connect, don't worry. I went through a phase in my life where I really... I was like, man, I hate tea, but the whole world drinks tea. Everybody, everyone, not the Americans, the Americans are all about coffee, you know, but everyone else on the planet drinks tea. You watch the travel shows, they're all drinking tea, you know? So I thought, man, the world must know something that I don't. You know what? Not really. I love tea. You know what? Speaking of that, Mm -hmm. the British, they're like, you want some milk in your tea? And I was like, what? You guys are stupid. Yeah. And then I was at a friend's house and I was like, no, dude, try it. And then I did and I was like, what? Have I never tried this before? See, and I don't, I don't like that I, I, milk, sugar. I, to me, I mean, if if the whole world is drinking it just as tea, why should I have to drink? Why why do I need to doctor it up? Well, not the whole world. Britain is not drinking it like that. They're putting milk in there. Yeah, I know, but everyone else in the, they got anyway. crumpets. 
crumpets, dude. Yeah, and cucumber sandwiches. Yeah. Um, the crust cut off. <laughs> anyway, so I, I, I really got into tea like hardcore for about a year and, and drank and tried a lot of tea. I, I like oolong tea. Really don't care for much else. I mostly like green tea. Yeah. But I bet I'd like oolong tea. In fact, I know I do because I've had it at Chinese right. restaurants before. Yeah. So the point is, at the end of the day, these, these giant Japanese monsters really want to sit down and have some tea. Yeah. Yeah, they want some good tea. But the way that see see giant giant uh, kaiju monsters, they don't they don't make tea with 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 leaves like we do. Right. They make tea with people. Yeah. You know, cuz cuz they got all these little people, they're not going to just like eat them cuz it's not even a morsel, you know? It's like it's like it's like grit in their teeth cuz they're so huge. But you you put a bunch of them in your in your teacup and you make the tea with them, and they can steep and then that's delicious. Yeah. The monsters. You know, it's it reminds me of that Soylent Green movie. It's like oolong tea is people. Yeah, sure. Why not? So, uh, so okay. So, uh, uh, epic kaiju tea party. So the players are each a uh, giant kaiju monster, and in front of you, you have a teacup. Each each player has a teacup, and they have a, a fabric bag. Okay, and in the center of the table is an, is a bigger fabric bag, and it's full of meeples, colored meeples. Yep. Yep. Okay, and the game is played. By you take turns and you you reach into the big the big bag and you draw out a meeple, and then you decide: Are you going to put this meeple in your teacup to make tea out of him, or are you going to squish him between your giant clawed talons and use some special ability? Okay, uh, and and by using that special ability, you can uh, do other things during the game. So, uh, so if you put it in the teacup it, to drink it, at some point you're, uh, uh, let's say the, the most common one in there is, is the blue meeple and you can throw him in your teacup and at the end of the game, you're going to get one point for him. Right. Or you can squish him between your talons and you can use his special power, which is to drink the tea in your cup. Right. And when you drink the tea in your cup, you basically take, take the teacup and all the meeples that are in your teacup and you dump it into your own personal bag. That's your stomach. Right. Okay. And only meeples in your stomach bag at the end of the game are scored. That's how you get points. Correct. All right. Um, and so there are basically there are six colors. I've got six colors with six different special powers in it right now. Okay. So, um, uh, so I said blue, uh, you get one point for it or you can use it to drink everything in your teacup. Next is red. Uh, there, uh, the red is worth two points in your teacup, or you can squish him to draw one extra meeple from the bag. So, and, and I should say, whenever you squish a meeple, it goes back in the box. It doesn't go back in the bag to right, draw from because he's dead. He's not, he's no good for tea anymore. You just throw him away. Right. So you can squish the red one to get to try again, basically. Okay. Uh, then we have, uh, brown meeples. Brown meeples are worth four points or... Uh, you uh, you can squish him, and that will make one other player have to dump his teacup back in the main bag to draw from. Okay, or you, you know, you mean right? Or you could play that on yourself to make yourself dump it back in the bag. Why would you do that? Let's get to that. I'll in a get minute. to that in a minute. <laughs> uh, next, we have yellow yellow meeples. Uh, if you use a yellow meeple, if you squish him, he, now he's worth three points in your teacup. But if you squish him, you can use him to steal uh, a meeple from someone else's cup. Why are you giggling at me? Because you changed the color. <laughs> <laughs> I did. <laughs> um, that was a piece of feedback that we got when playtesting this with uh, with Jeff from Happy Mitten. He said, you should be careful about your, the white and the black meeples and squishing them. And I was like, yeah, that's probably a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to offend anybody. I, will, I mean, that's what makes it tough, like, because the meeples are colors. Right. 
And so you're attributing the colors to different things. And, you yeah. know, I mean, pretty much any color that you pick in there could be negatively associated to something. some ethnicity. So we just kind of have to... So it's some stereotype right. that's not cool. Not cool. <clears throat> anyway, so uh, so yellow meeple uh, worth three points, or you can squish them to steal a meeple from someone else's cup. Not from their, not from their stomach bag, but from their teacup. Uh, next is green. Those are worth five points. Those are really, really powerful. But those are the plague meeples. Uh, if you get a green one, you have to put it in your teacup. And when you drink it, you, you, when you, at some point you're going to have to drink that. You're going to dump that, the, the whole thing into your stomach bag. And then you have to randomly, uh, pull out two meeples from your stomach and throw those back in the box. Basically, it makes you sick and you throw up. Right. Right. Okay. And, you know, the zombie meeple. <laughs> basically, the zombie meeple. Right. And so, and, and that's a bummer, you know, that's a bummer because you might end up losing, because he's worth five points. But if you throw out two, two yellows, then you lost six points for that. But if five. you throw out two blues, then that was a good that's move. That's awesome. Yeah. Right. So, it's a little tricky. Uh, and then the last one is orange. Uh, orange meeples are worth six points. And that, uh, so you can get six points or you can squish him to trade teacups with another player. So if you've got nothing in your teacup and somebody over there has a whole lot, you squish the orange meeple and you swap teacups. Right. Which is a real jerk Super move. Super powerful. Super powerful, right. Uh, and that's basically it. And so you keep playing. You take turns drawing from the bag until the, the main bag is empty and uh, everybody gets the chance to drink. Uh, if you have not if you have any meeples left in your teacup at the end of the game, you can drink whatever you have left for free at the end, and then you count up your score. So you theoretically go through the whole game without ever drinking. Your mm-hmm. cup just gets super full, but you're completely vulnerable if somebody draws a, right. a brown meeple and says, dump it. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, so that, it's a real simple game. It's it's kind of fun to do the whole thing where you're, you're you know, you're drawing, you don't know what you're going to get, and, uh, oh, and you know, so it, it's fun. I mean, it's a real simple game. Right. plays pretty quick. Um, but what did you think of it when we, when we play tested it? I had fun with it. I enjoyed it. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I definitely needed some spicing up for sure. Um, and you know, you've kind of already done that with some of the stuff a little bit. Um, the worst, the worst balance thing was the plague thing was originally three and yeah. it was actually originally five. You it was said five the first time we tested just, it. Yeah. Just too much. But when terrible. you're doing it on paper, you just don't know. Right. So now you've scaled it down to two and I think that'll be a good mechanic mm-hmm. then. Um, yeah, I mean, we had, we had a lot of fun with it. I liked it. Um, mm-hmm. it's intended to be really pretty lightweight, right? Yeah. And it was certainly a lightweight. I mm-hmm. mean, it was, there wasn't tons of thought going into the strategy, mm-hmm. but like some of the things that were fun was like when you draw like the yellow meeple and you can steal, mm-hmm. I'd look and there'd be a yellow meeple and there was a yellow meeple in your teacup and Jeff's. Mm-hmm. And I was like, dude, <laughs> so I squish it, pick up yours, squish it, pick up Jeff's, squish it. Then take the highest point value one that either one of you had and right. throw it in my teacup. Yeah, so you can chain things together. Like so that, I robbed which is you guys fun. of three points each. Right. Well, plus more because the I took like a I think a four point. I think yeah. I took like a probably a brown, probably a brown one. So um, that was mm-hmm. was pretty awesome. You yeah. know. Yeah. So it, it's neat that you can kind of kind of wiggle all that together and chain right. it and yeah. So it's it's yeah it's silly it's dumb but. Right. I kind of like it. Yeah, no, it was fun. I mean, it was entertaining. I would have definitely played it again. Yeah. So I, now, I mean, component-wise, I mean, you got forty-two meeples in there total. Uh, you know, plus you're going to need for a four-player game. You need five bags. You need four small bags and one big bag, and and then there's the teacups. You know, um, right. So the worst thing against this game is it's a lightweight, fun game that's going to be expensive. Yeah. So I mean, this could be a twenty-five dollar game. Yeah, that, I think you'd be lucky. If it's a twenty-five dollar game. Yeah. So, so, 
But um, but I don't know. It's it's fun. It's silly. It's it's a fun as a little experiment. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. We'll see what happens in the future. If, uh, if any, if anybody else out there thinks it's a fun idea, uh, uh, I mean, it's, it, there's not really any reason for me to put out a print and play for it. Um, because there's not really anything to print. You just kind of need a bunch of cubes or meeples right. of different colors. You certainly could post, uh, somewhere out yeah, there, the, uh, the breakdown of how the meeples uh-huh. work. Yeah, maybe I and, should do that. Because cubes work just as well. Yeah. So, In fact, that's what we were playing with, those cubes. Cubes and dinosaur eggs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the dinosaur eggs were strangely thematic. The half yeah. cu- the little half dinosaur eggs yeah. for our teacups. <laughs> Which was fun. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, Epic Kaiju Tea Time. Or, excuse me, Epic Kaiju Tea Party. Um, there you go. That's the game. It's, it's pretty fun. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. The pitch that I uh, chose for this lovely clip show is from episode 46, and it is the pitch for Grandma's Goat, which was a pitch challenge, and uh, this is one of the more enjoyable pitches I've ever had, and listening to it was, again, was like, oh gosh, that's really awesome, like, I want to make a Grandma's Goat game. I probably won't, but man, I want to, so yeah. Anyways, I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. It's gonna be legend. Wait for it, dairy. Well, uh, we should uh, we should move on to uh, practicing the pitch for this week. Yes, and this is another big big milestone for us. It's your turn to give your pitch for the game, uh, the listener game design challenge. It is. Yeah. Last week I pitched Demon Surprise. That you did. And this turn it's your turn to pitch Grandma's Goat. Oh, that's a sheep. Never mind. <laughs> I think goats go nah, don't they? I don't know. They nah. do, they eat garbage and they ram you. Nah. The game has nothing to do with that. Darn. Uh, so Grandma's Goat was the title that I drew, and the uh, the mechanics were skill checks, which is really easy, and deck building via tile placement. Uh, so as I have to have a deck building game, but you're deck building with tiles. There you go. So let me just say, I fell in love with that mechanic yeah. the second I read it. Yeah. And um, I was super excited to get it. And um, yeah, we'll get, we'll come back to that. At okay. the end of this pitch, I'll have some other stuff to talk All about right. that. So, Grandma's Goat. Uh, in this game, the idea is that uh, Grandma, um, she lives on a farm in the middle of nowhere, some 100 miles from civilization. Hmm. That's and not that far, actually. Well... But wait for it. Okay. She says to herself, I live 100 miles from civilization. I'm old, but I'm still, I still want adventure. I still got it. Yep. So she says, I am going to (gasps) walk through the wilderness 100 miles to the nearest town. Oh, Grandma. Just because I can. Oh, Grandma. Be careful. But Grandma's got this goat, right? And this Uh goat is super smart. What's his name? Uh, Billy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't know what his name is. I haven't thought about it yet. All right. Um, so, uh, anyways, good question. (laughs) So grandma and her goat, right? Grandma's like, I'm doing this. And, uh, she, she leaves the farm animals in the care of a ranch hand or something. But the goat is like, no, grandma, I'm coming with you. Now, I'm coming with you. Something like that. Something like that. Except for that, again, sound more like a sheep. It did. So, um... Conjuring images of Goat Boy from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> so Grandma's Goat says, I'm coming with you, Grandma. So in this game, Grandma's going to be taking this adventure 
from her farm into the deep, deep wilderness, and then boom, to this town. Okay, so to play the game, I had to make a quick assumption. Deck building via tile placement, a big problem with that is if I have a mitt full of tiles, like a deck, yeah, that's super annoying and super hard to deal with. Can't hold those. Right, so I thought, why not just use a deck of cards, Yeah, but have those cards be laid out as tiles and matched up like tiles. Are these square cards or standard shape cards? Standard shape cards. Okay. Just because I want it to be easy, because with deck building games, you're so constantly shuffling and moving that if they were not standard shape, it might be kind of annoying. Sure. Okay. Okay. So you start out with a standard deck, um, which are some locations, mm-hmm. some tools, and a couple animal friends that are friends with the goat, because the goat can talk to other animals. So the goat will be using animals to help grandma do stuff. Okay. All well, grandma is using uh, tools that she'll find in the wilderness, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's going to happen is you're going to have this deck of cards, and you're going to lay the cards out when you get your hand. you get five cards. You will lay the cards out. They'll have um, symbols on them to help you match them up for the types of locations. And they'll have each card in the beginning, all the low-level cards, map cards, will have a a symbol on each side, one symbol on each side. And you're going to match those symbols up as you lay them out to make a map in front of you. Okay. Does that that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Then you're going to use skill checks, ding, 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 (laughs) to search those locations. And each one of those locations is going to have a difficulty rating. Okay. Um... You're going to have 2d6 for dice, uh, Uh because that's the standard amount of dice I love to use is 2d6. One's not enough sometimes. Uh, And uh, so you're going to roll the 2d6 to to try and make the search. Making those searches, like the lowest level search is 9. So just rolling two dice, it's totally feasible, but not super probable, Mm -hmm. right? 9 is a probable number to come up, but not as probable as, say, 7 you know, sure. five, six, um, I think six, seven, eight are your, those are your core numbers that come up the most on yeah. two, two D6s. Yeah. So to help grandma, she's got these tools and the tools are going to give her bonuses to search, right? Uh, as are the animal friends. They're, they're going to give her bonuses to search or bonuses to locations. And the cool thing about when you play a tool card, um, when the tool card will have the symbols as well that you have to play on the map. So will the animal friends. When you play those out, they give you an automatic bonus. Whatever it says the bonus is, you get it. You don't have to search them. You don't have to do anything. Boom. Bants. You got the bonus, right? Okay. Now, the search cards all have a reward. And when you search that location successfully, you get the reward. So what are the rewards? Sometimes the rewards will be you get a plus two to search your next location that turn. You can search two locations every turn as a standard thing. It's like your two actions, okay. right? So you can play out every card you have. Then you can search two locations. Um, the other rewards you can find are some might say draw a new tool card mm. or draw a new animal card because that's what you found, right? And you're mm-hmm. going to take the top card off the deck. It's a mixed stack, just like we've talked about before. Frankenstein's legacy has yeah. that. We're both pretty big fans of mixed stack yeah. deck building. Um, so it's a mixed stack face up. So you always know what the top card is. So you may decide if you have three or four locations that you play out, which is very likely, you can pick and choose the ones you want to search based on what you're hoping to get. Mm-hmm. So if the animal that's up top is kind of sucks, you're like, I don't need that. Then the locations that you can search, there's five levels of those locations. Um, the fifth level is the town. And there's enough town cards for everyone in the deck to get one, right? Mm-hmm. But that's the hard, you ha- to get to that, you have to get through all the other levels of locations because each level lets you buy the next level of location. Oh, okay. And it's a cashless system. It's just you search 
Uh, if you search this, I can take a level four location now. Boom. So I get a level four. And when I get a level four one, I know that when I get that one, I can get a level five one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So you just use use those search checks. And then you when you finally get the town card, you put it in your deck. Mm-hmm. And that's got a real high search check to find it, right? Yeah. So and your reward is you win the game. But it goes in your discard pile because it's a deck building game. Right. So after it's in there now, you're trying to get back to it. Get back to First it. person to get back and successfully search it wins the game. Okay. Ta-da. So that's pretty much the game in a nutshell. Okay. So grandma's is grandma and her goat are out searching for the town. Yep. And they're trying to pick up little breadcrumbs or follow the trail. Exactly. By searching to find the town. I like it. I like that. And so, so you're laying out the cards, the map that they're traveling down. And at the end of your turn, you pick all those cards back up, throw them in your discard. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. Yep. Okay. So. Can, I, can you have a little goat eeple? Goat eeple? Goat eeple. Goat eeple? I'd love to if I could. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what you'd use it for. A little grandma meeple and a goat eeple. Oh, man, that'd be so great. Well, thanks for bearing with us uh, on this clip show. I promise. Uh, so we've got Origins coming up this coming weekend. We will definitely do some recording there. Uh, and uh, uh, we'll, we'll have a, a probably an Origins episode or recorded, an episode recorded at Origins uh, coming up next weekend. Uh, and then we will probably do a more formal Origins recap after that. Uh, so uh, thanks for hanging in there through the clip show. Uh, if you are driving to Origins, I uh, hope you guys have a safe trip there and back. Driving or flying, I should say. Uh, I will see you guys there. I will definitely be there. Jason will be coming, I believe, on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, and uh, uh, until next time, I uh, hope you guys have a, a great time. And, and, uh, and if you're not going to Origins, I hope you guys still play some fun stuff at home. Um, and our normal outro stuff, if you want to get in touch with us, you can send us an email to buildingthegamepodcast.gmail.com. I am at poorly underscore design jason's at j.a slingerland on twitter the show is at podcast btg uh you can uh, like us on facebook and give us a five-star review on uh on itunes and stitcher and google play and all those that stuff our website is buildingthegamepodcast.com that's what uh, jason and i both went to to find these old episodes yes we have archives and yes we have stuff on stored on ftp sites but it was just easier for us to look at the website so i really encourage you guys to do that if you want to go back and listen to the back catalog um uh and uh i don't know that's probably enough for tonight so uh thanks for listening and good night Building the Game is a co-production of Imminent Entertainment and Poorly Designed Studios. All of the ideas presented by Rob and Jason are property of the Building the Game podcast. Next time on Building the Game.